when a universe a pure illusion are you kinsman of beowulf turns dangerously real death lives here this fantasy the safety programs are malfunctioning becomes a nightmare get me out of here once you go in defend yourself you don't come out i've lost their life signs they're gone on the next star trek voyager Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Karnick, and with me in an artificial forest at Paramount lot number 12 are... <laughs> Max. Rudy Baker, And Diana McPhail. Welcome to Strange New Takes. We are excited to continue series recapping episodes of Star Trek stories that originate from the holodeck. Today we're going to recap the episode Heroes and Demons, the 11th episode of the first season of Star Trek Voyager. And as always, don't forget to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Insta, and Twitter. Um, tell your friends about the pod. We like uh, new listeners. and we like friends. And, um, <laughs> we do. We like friends too, yeah. And um, in addition, do not forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts because if there's people looking for a new track pod to listen to, um, this is how pods get bubbled up on search lists and search results. So... Um, tell your friends about us and rate us. Thank you. And as always, we like to include a spoiler warning at the beginning of the episode here. Um, we are going to be talking about this episode of Star Trek in detail, as well as other episodes as well. So fair warning before we begin. Well, welcome back, Max and Diner. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited to to have y'all back to talk about heroes and demons, particularly given we're going to be talking about old English literature. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and but we always start our episodes with our strange new takes. So, oh, before 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 we get to those though, this this as as Zana mentioned earlier, twelfth episode, first season of Voyager. It's written by Naren Shankar, who was a guy who's written a bunch of uh, episodes of DS Nine and TNG uh, as well. But this was his only Voyager writing credit. He actually pitched this to Voyager before Voyager was even production had started. So it, it's it's a pretty old script, I guess. Uh, that was pitched. It's directed by Les Landau uh, as well. And the Indian University is 2371. For those keeping track, it's five years after Hollow Pursuits. So, Rich Barkley, who knows what he's been up to, but it's been five years. <laughs> All right. Well, crew, now, now, for real, we always start with our strange new takes. And who's got a strange new take for me? I have got one for you. Yes, um, yes. So, uh, okay, so let me set the scene here. We were watching uh, this episode on amazon prime and for for some reason i think maybe we were we've been watching some uh some foreign shows or something and we had turned on the the subtitles so we had the subtitles on as we were watching this and at the beginning of the episode um you know they're kind of like scanning they're picking up the the sort of anomalies for the first time and in my brain something just kind of like went a little haywire and as i was reading the subtitles um what i read is that they had detected some unusually intense platonic activity (laughs) and ever since my brain did that to me i've just been wondering like what what would that even be uh so i'm i'm imagining maybe like 
going bowling together, but like sitting really far apart. <laughs> yes. So there's like no chance of touching each oh other God. or something like that. Mm. And anyway, um, about your dreams. <laughs> that's what I've got for you today. <laughs> I Launch guess, like, the, the doctor Cupid brought that <laughs> <laughs> So good. That's so good. I don't know. So I think my mine was not as, that's not as funny, but I was thinking about this, this holodeck, this episode in the context of the holodeck. And it's like the rare holodeck episode where we are sort of like, we're sort of backdoored into the holodeck. Like, usually it's like, you follow Ensign Harry Kim, he's gonna go on an adventure with Beowulf, and then hijinks happen, you know, like when uh, uh, Picard is, like, you know, playing Robin Hood or whatever, and then some hijinks happen, and he's like, I'm just in this Robin Hood outfit, and now I have to do stuff. And so we kind of get this, like, backdoor entry into the world of the holodeck episode. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we don't, as per usual with, with Voyager, we never learn anything about Harry Kim. And that's usually what happens in holodeck episodes is we learn something about the person that they, that went into the holodeck and chose to do the, to, to do the, the, the mission. Um, whereas in this case, we learn a lot about the doctor and I'm not complaining about that because I love the doctor as a character, but it is an interesting thing that it's, again, it's Harry Kim who's like, you yeah, know what? This is, this is Harry Kim. We can't <laughs> learn anything about we him. We can't learn anything. We have no character growth whatsoever. <laughs> so, you know, it could have easily have been Torres or someone else, um, but it happened to be poor Harry Kim who, you know, hopefully got a full paycheck for the 10 seconds that he was on screen <laughs> in this episode. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have two strange new takes. Um, not you mentioned Narayan Shankar. I think he made it pretty big after that. I think he produced Expanse or was like a senior oh, uh, wow. person on Expanse and also executive Fall producer. Man- right. Wow. And awesome. and fought all mankind. Yeah. Correct. So he's and you know me, right? I'm I'm looking for these Indian names here and there. <laughs> Where's my Aditya Sahil guy? So um yeah, it's it's um He's done some big stuff, um, and the take on this episode, it's the first time the Doctor leaves the holodeck, it's a big deal, I know we've spoken about, to me it's a big deal, and I've spoken about that in previous uh, hologram episodes, I like the bit where he's like, he's so happy that his hand is on a branch when he mm-hmm. first goes in, so yeah. Um, yeah, excited about that because it's the beginning of, of a very interesting journey for the EMH and for general a hologram script writing in Trek after that. I went to the St. Paul meat shop yesterday mm. and the butcher there spent 20 minutes talking to me about the specific cut of beef I wanted for this dish I wanted to make. Um, and I won't bore you with the specific recipe. But the point is, if you are a meat eater and you enjoy cooking for yourself, make a butcher friend who like, you know, maybe it's your local butcher. Maybe it's somebody else. I don't know. Find somebody to talk to about this stuff. Who's not a butcher, but who just really likes cutting up meat. You know what I mean? I mean, there are some hunters who will tell you some really like, specific stuff right of farmers so like just somebody who knows what they're talking about when they're like uh when they're butchering basically because you learn some really interesting things about different cuts and with beef specifically the the, the way the americans cut beef versus the brazilians versus mm-hmm. the english versus the french is very different so say for example you're cooking a piece of french cuisine using what an American cut is actually a really bad idea because it might completely change the flavor profile of the dish because of how much fat is in there, how marble the meat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Talking to your butcher will help you figure out like, this is the right kind of meat I want for this. So anyway, it was a really fun experience. I thought I would share. Um, 
I wonder what Neelix was doing during this episode. He doesn't appear at all. Ethan Phillips is, oh is absent. That's true. I, I'll uh, say I didn't really miss him, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't I, realize. I, I don't know, you know, but I'm still like, he's still new to the ship. So maybe this is the episode where he's actually taking a full tour and learning about the different systems and like figuring out where to grow Leola root. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's what he's up to while you know and then like it's like it's one of those things where you know when Janeway sees that like lattice structure out the bridge mm-hmm. uh, visual he's like in some like mess hall viewing it from there like whoa I wonder what that was I'll check on it later and you know or it's like Naren Shanker was like you know what I have a scene for you I like you I've got a scene for you I got, I'm gonna send this entire episode around you because I really like you but like we don't Fuck need me, this character. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, yeah. So anyway, I was just wondering where Neelix was while watching this. But let's move into talking about this episode in depth. Here's the uh, memory alpha summary. When several crew members disappear inside Harry Kim's Beowulf holodeck program, the holographic doctor is the only one who can rescue them. It's a pretty linear adventure. There's no B or C plots. Uh, somehow there's still an excessive amount of techno babble, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> The point is, this is a pretty straight line pro- plot, y'all. Mm-hmm. It is. And I think what one of the things that I really appreciate about this episode, because um, spoiler alert, I did enjoy this episode quite a bit, is that it is very, narratively very clear and consistent. Um, and so that's something you can do if you're making the the plot of your episode less of an A plot, B plot, and more of like a one one part of the action is taking place in this setting and another part of the action is taking place in this setting so they're all contributing together so it's not like 20 minutes needs to be taken away so that we can really for some reason cement torres and paris as like the hardy boys detectives in this particular episode (laughs) or you can give them a scene where they're like they're investigating for the larger purpose of the of the story and i think it really works especially because because a plots and b plots don't really really move past the end of the episode in Voyager. Sometimes it's like, I'm doing all this extra energy for what specifically? Because nothing is really going to come out of it. So this episode is good because the A plot and the B plot, or the A scene and the B scene are really focusing on this one story. Um, and we get the full benefit of the small character moments in this story because they all contribute to the larger picture. So from a writing perspective, that was the right choice. There was no need to have, you know, Neelix in the kitchen making weird mashed potatoes and being like, yes, I'm annoying. And like, there's no, there's no, there's no entertainment value and there's no narrative value to that. So I'm glad they cut it. Not to do it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, You can tell how I feel about Neelix. You're just killing our Neelix fans. Right. 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 I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's just, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a Neelix fan and I didn't, catch that he wasn't in the episode and <laughs> Maybe I'm, that's where you're and I'm like fan. You don't for a second <laughs> for a second I'm like no he didn't join the show yet which makes no sense <laughs> he's in the, first, he's in the, he's in the pilot he's so for, for the yeah, record I feel like Neelix actually would have been a very willing yeah. like holodeck warrior. You know, yeah. like if Kes had been in <laughs> yeah. trouble on the holodeck, he would have been like leading the charge. Yeah. Maybe he got lost with Kim and nobody realized <laughs> maybe, that. And yeah, then maybe was there was a fourth bio sign. They were like, let's let's retrieve three of those energy signatures, but like none for Gretchen Wieners. Fuck Neelix, they can have him. Oh man. No, I feel like man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you know. Uh, I'm just that now. I'm now. I'm just thinking of like what the B plot of this episode would have been like. Is it like Tom Paris writing a, a note to Kit Harry's mom about how he died in the holodeck? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. Like in crayon. Damn, Mrs. Kim. 
I really think it would have been it would have been Janeway and Torres like talking science to each other, which was the first scene of this episode is they like they're coming together and like Janeway whenever Janeway speaks science, everyone's like, ooh, she's so sciencey. Look how sciencey she is. And I was like, it worked for me. I was like, fuck yeah, talk more science to each other. This is great. So okay. probably like we're gonna do an experiment. Let's just see what's going on here. Yeah, yeah. They and and you know there was I I think my only problem with that 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 scene was that it was so clearly a a set built out of wood because they have oh, like yeah. a panel behind the two of them that is just black there's no like console there's no like l cars it's just like painted plywood i feel like at this and, point at this point notch i just don't even pay attention to the sets anymore on voyager i'm like that's fine you know what it's like the it's like the like the boxes in our black box theater in college it's like that's a couch sure I will yeah, accept it as a couch. Absolutely. It's like all the beds on TNG. Like, that is not a bed. But I'm going to pretend like it's a bed for the purposes of this scene. Sure. I, I do think, though, and I, I don't know if we want to save this for later, but I felt that the, uh, like, the holodeck stuff, you know, like the Beowulf mm-hmm. scenes, actually, like, the quality really of the design really there was, good. like, a big step up from something like Next Generation or even DS9 totally. for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, so then just a context for that, I mentioned Paramount Stage 12 earlier. That's actually where they built the the forest set, and the Great Hall was Yay. also per- another set that was purpose-built so that it could contain actual real-life fire. Man, which, I as you can that understand, Great Hall. That Great Hall was awesome. Yeah, yeah as <laughs> you can imagine, cool. it's kind of hard in a controlled setting, risk-wise, insurance-wise, to have, have uh, fire, so you need to add a lot of, like, resources like extinguishers and uh water mm-hmm. extinguishers okay. for 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 that sort of thing so it's it is kind of neat that they did that and uh it's so it's kind of funny that when they had to go and do another hollow novel they didn't reuse these sets and instead decided to do an irish town uh <laughs> you know yeah, yeah space irish people they're every yeah. single one uh, has they're just irish. everywhere um, all the time <laughs> Okay, but but one thing about this, so, so you, Danny, you mentioned Janeway and Torres. Did anybody else feel like Kate Mulgrew was like really, really channeling William Shatner in this? Yes. In in terms of just the like looks at the like camera and like every time something happens, just like <gasps> it was just like the the, the punctuations of the acting was just like it was uh, very Shatner esque. <laughs> I felt when Duvok is giving her that first readout and she's like. Also, he mentions something to the effect of Kim's potentially dead. She's like, oh. And and then like, <laughs> each of her, even when she's like talking to Torres, um, so she's mentioned this before. Kate Mulgrew's mentioned this before, that she is um, not only zero with scientific stuff, but probably negative. Like she has <laughs> no... It makes um, science worse. Yeah. So so <laughs> when she used to talk about these things, right, She she, she couldn't even... Like she was just doing an act around something that she had no grounding. It's like Antonio right? Banderas speaking yeah. English phonetically in his first and, American movie. Like yeah. this is this and, is what this means. And I had I had no idea because I heard that like after seeing Voyager, um, the the whole the whole series. So I guess she did a good job. But over here, I could see that being like to your point, Notch, punctuated. Um, and and yeah, I guess it's also er- early Voyager, right? Um, mm-hmm. I feel like all of Voyager feels like early Voyager though, <laughs> to a certain extent, so it's not really oh, like no. you know what, we can forgive be... these first couple of seasons because it gets more consistent and better. <laughs> You're like, I you know what it, I love it for what it is, and I also accept it for what it is and what it is not. 
I do think that that's a function of uh, of direction more than it is necessarily of acting per se. Uh, mm. Although I like to, I do love the direction of her full body intense lean over a console for no reason than just the camera is like right there. And you're like, you know what? I accept it, but I don't really understand it. But you're gonna say something. I, so we I have mean, a Janeway was... lean now. Oh yeah. Oh, this like Janeway a Riker lean. lean. There's a Janeway lean. Yes, is there a Janeway lean? I guess I I'm not familiar with, uh, <laughs> the canon. with that term. <laughs> Um, but you know, I was just, I think we've gone back and forth in the past about sort of like how we feel about kind of the overall quality of, of the cast in mm -hmm. Voyager. And, um, you know, I don't think that I have sort of like the definitive take on that necessarily, but I think in some ways, like the way I was reading this episode is I think like Kate Mulgrew is probably a slightly stronger actor than some of the other cast members. Mm -hmm. And I think she was kind of like overacting to sort of like pull them along mm -hmm. and try to raise the bar mm -hmm. a little bit for mm -hmm. some of them. Well, she, I think she's just like taken lessons from Hrothgar because Hrothgar deserves a medal because he had some Hrothgar on the crew, you know, like he the security so officer good. right there. We'll uh, we'll we'll touch on we'll touch on guest stars in a minute when we get to talk about the great hall scenes because I do want to call out who they were. Um, yeah, it's also funny in this episode how Jane, Kate Mulgrew, and Robert Picardo are pretty much the only two consistent presents. Tom Paris yeah. is in like half a scene. Kim mm -hmm. is like in one eighth of a scene. <laughs> Chakotay and Tuwok have like some stuff for like a couple of scenes mm -hmm. and then they disappear. Totally. And it's just and it's just like. The only two actors who really get serious screen time um, in front of, like, with the camera focusing on them right in the center are, Sorry. or the regulars, I should say, mm -hmm. are, are Kate Mulgrew and Robert Picardo. Yeah. Um, and Robert Picardo, so we've talked a bunch about Kate Mulgrew. I think Robert Picardo, I was expecting him, based on his later performances in Voyager, to be more slapsticky, but he actually does is a pretty serious performer yes. like mm -hmm. his performance is very serious in this he's not like play hamming it up mm -hmm. for the camera yeah and sure. i think part of that is to do with the fact that he's 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 going through an experience that that's going beyond the the med bay for the first time and i think his his um sarcasm and and slapstick type of humor and attitude kind of develops after he kind of, you know, interacts more. I mean, he's got that, he's got that on day one as well. I get it, right? As soon as they, mm -hmm. they kick, he, he gets, he gets initialized. He's, he's being acerbic and, you know, terrible bedside manner. But this is more, this is more of a, an episode where he is trying to, like, he's excited about experiencing something that he has never experienced before, right? Like, what, yeah, totally. What I think really it comes down to is that this episode really fits in beautifully with whatever we can call the canon of Voyager from before. It really fits in beautifully. Like we know that the doctor is feeling underappreciated. We know that the doctor um, wants more recognition and we know that there he has, he has emotional responses to things in a way that like data who is his closest analogous character in Star Trek data does not have emotional responses to things. Mm -hmm. And so like the writing of this episode is so good because it, it really is a culmination of all the things in the, the 10 previous episodes, the doctor has really been experiencing and expressing. We see that and we hear that and we feel that in this episode. So I think it comes down to, first of all, um, Ricardo's a really great actor. I think he does a really good job with his character in general, but also in this particular episode when he gets a chance to be a little bit more serious and have emotional payoff. And I think when we come to like the slapstick stuff that comes later, I, I really think that's a, a, a function of writing. And it's not necessarily like 
him carefully plotting his character across several seasons. I think it comes down to the writing of the of his character in particular. So, yeah. you know, I think that what's great about this episode is that there is an emotional payoff for him where we feel like he's overcome something or experienced something that he so he's not keeping like running into the same narrative threads over and over again. But I will say that my sort of my quibble, my only real quibble with this episode is kind of what you brought up really briefly, Notch, is that like we have these other characters who are here and there for a few scenes and like some of the some of the important pivotal scenes are done by characters who are actually not in the end like the final act of the of the story up until its resolution right so like Chakotay and Tuvok who are touring the great hall and are talking about cultures with heroes and demons and what demons could represent and whatever that's an important t- conversation and it mm-hmm. actually doesn't happen between the doctor and someone else because that would make the most sense narratively for the doctor to be part of that conversation but instead it's like these two characters who disappear in the first two-thirds of the episode have this pivotal conversation that the entire title of the episode is really focused around so i think it's an interesting decision it doesn't take away ultimately from my enjoyment of the episode but like in terms of writing and plotting it does seem strange to have an important conversation occur between two people who are not then related to the rest of the episode, really. Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) there's very little kind of discussion of Beowulf outside of that in those initial scenes. We don't really get to, which is funny because Narain Shankar actually, he, it's one of the other. He's a Beowulf fan, yeah. Right. It's written in memory alpha that he thought like everybody knew Beowulf. And then when he (laughs) came to this, when he was writing this episode, it's like, what? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. What? What? what?" So, um, and, and yeah, so let's jump in just a little bit, um, in, in talking about, um, some of the scenes within the force. I think, I think, you know, in the past, sometimes we'd discuss these episodes chronologically. And I think we're, we're, trying to take more of the approach of talking about characters here and, and mm-hmm. the actors. So let's let's talk about the Great Hall um, actors and, and characters because we can't really discuss Grendel since it was a ball of energy. Totally. The, the VX <laughs> 2 did fine. the budget for a full Grendel. They just had to. Can't go full Grendel. Have to just do <laughs> a ball of energy. Right. Uh, great performance by the VFX artists. It uh, pulsed with energy at all the right moments. All right. Uh, yeah. let's, let's talk about Freya Rothger <laughs> and Unferth. Um what did y'all so so Diana, you're you're familiar with Beowulf. What yes. is is the what's the history here with these three characters that we don't get in this episode? So Hrothgar is um a king and he's he's largely in two Anglo Saxon epics. So he's in um Beowulf and he's in Vildsith. Um, which and have characters that are shared among Danish, Norse, and Anglo Saxon texts. So it's kind of like you know, having King Arthur in three different languages and three different cultures. It's like, he's a character who comes up again and again. He is the second son of a king. So his brother was king before him and then his brother dies. And so he has, goes on a lots of adventures and also has a longstanding um, rivalries with local and Scandinavian, other Scandinavian, like Swedish um kings who one of whom i think ultimately kills him so he there's like a there's like a long epic story of which um uh, beowulf and vilsith are a part of it but then there are other pieces mm-hmm. that we pick up in other 
places in other um, other cultures, in other like Nordic cultures. And so in in Beowulf, he is presented as an older man, which is what we see here. He um, is the last standing member of his family. I think he has a younger brother who ultimately avenges his death in a different um, in different lore. And he is pretty desperate for help from Beowulf um, uh, in, uh, in production for the Grendel. But he's also like sort of given up hope. And so that's kind of what we see in this episode. We see the the idea of hope being gone because we have the same kind of the same structure every single time somebody new comes into the holodeck freya meets them outside of the hall brings them to her father's hall and he talks about the death of hope and how you know there's no there's nothing left and that's kind of exactly what's mirrored in uh in beowulf and so then uh beowulf is like nah man i got this i can kill this monster don't even worry about it and so after uh the death of grendel and grendel's mother um <laughs> Hrothgar, like shows up again and is like awesome thank you so much high five also believe in god God's very important. Accept God into your heart. Cool high five. <laughs> we out. Um, so the but the the hall is a specific place in the story. I don't know how to pronounce it, so I apologize to everybody. But it's uh, Heorot, I think it's H E O R O T, um, and that actually features really prominently in uh, the Beowulf story. And there is a brief. This is such, such like a nerdy thing because um, for sure this is not a mention that I remembered happening at all in Beowulf because I remember really the, the large points of the story but um so uh <laughs> it's a it's a brief mention but I was looking through the story for Freya and I was like the, the daughter's probably fictional she's not even real but oh no oh no there is actually a daughter and mm-hmm. her name is not Freya it's like Frang Frangar Freya Freyawar I think it's Freyawar so the name Freya is just a shortening <clears throat> of Freyawar which is he's she's briefly mentioned, so she gets a little bit more of a character arc in this one. That's why Harry Kim didn't get any screen time. Freya <laughs> took it all. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. So I mean, it, what it shows realistically is first of all that the the writer is very familiar with Beowulf, and then also the this narrative structure happening over and over again. It kind of like leads itself to being this repeated epic. Um, and it's cool. I don't know. I mean, in terms of like whether or not it needs to be a Beowulf, whatever. It don't like it needs to be Beowulf, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it actually is Beowulf. So it's a fun, it's a fun scene. And then anybody who does understand and has has a background with Beowulf will be like, oh hell yeah, Rothgar, fuck yeah, awesome. You're cool, man. Keep doing. Yeah, I mean, th- this could have literally been King Kong or Godzilla, right? Like a group of people <laughs> are afraid of a monster. Right, and we're familiar with the, we're familiar enough with the storyline. If you are know anything about Beowulf, that you're like. Got it. If you don't know anything about Beowulf, you're like, you're afraid of a monster? Great. High five. I can understand that. Yeah. You have, you're wearing those funny hats that I saw in Asterix comics. <laughs> cool. <laughs> the, most, um, the most important sources for funny hats, honestly. Right. Um, so, so it's like, it's, it is instantly recognizable. I, I see your point there. It's, um, it is cool though. I feel like this is something that Star Trek is, I was, I was talking about what makes a Trekkie last mm-hmm. night with somebody else. And, and I, one of the things that I thought distinguishes someone from someone who watches Star Trek to a Trekkie is when you're driven to be curious about the what else is related mm-hmm. to that within Star Trek. So, like, you go and you read Memory Alpha, or you, like, research <laughs> some... Like, like, last week, I wonder how many holodecks the Ent- Enterprise D has. There is nobody who's not a Trekkie who's asked that question, okay? Like, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, Did you find the answer? How many? 
Uh, no, there is no answer. Oh, okay. I, I thought like someone would be like in Michael Okuda's my, uh, original. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, in, in this book published only in '93 for like 50 copies, it says clearly that there are 10 holodecks. Something like you know, like, no, nothing like research that. Research together, my God. Right. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but the point is, I think the Beowulf part of the story is exactly the same. It, it's kind of it. It appeals to that type of person mm-hmm. who goes back, and then you find that there's a rich history of the characters you just watched even if you weren't familiar with Beowulf mm-hmm. before you can go and then it takes you down a, a rabbit hole of like cool literature and it, it, interesting information and then you can read about the history mm-hmm. uh, of, of of the Danes uh, and, and you know um, it, there's some cool <laughs> stuff there basically but um, anyway and I think also the benefit for just briefly the benefit of having this world be sort of established and there's sort of a backstory is that in some sometimes in Star Trek aliens we know there are a lot of Star Trek aliens who've gotten very like a thin patina of culture or a thin patina <laughs> of a history and you're like ah oh, yes we're the blue ones but they are the red ones but they kill us and that's that's our whole culture that's it that's the whole culture and with this there's a lot there's a lot more room for emotional Expression. Well, h- hang on, hang on. I, I, so I, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Did However, you just, did you reference I, the Andorians there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, so I Thanks just two, two kind of general like reactions to sort of add maybe before we talk about the specific characters in in the in the hall. But um, you know, so first, like, I I love this episode. I I am a huge Beowulf fan, but I think we have to acknowledge too that this is like the nerdiest possible yes. episode yes. of start. This is like a turducken of nerdy <laughs> stuff with like one nerdy thing stuffed inside of another nerdy thing. And I, I mean, I'm here for it, but it is, it is intense. Um, and I think it's hilarious that the writer was just like, yeah, of course, everyone knows what Beowulf is. Everybody knows this story. Um, and, and the other piece though, with, with like, you know, the aliens and sort of the emotional connection is like, let, let's be real here. The, the Danes, were just straight up Klingons. Like true. we could literally have replaced these characters with Klingons That's and fair. kept the same dialogue, and mm-hmm. it still would have made sense. It's like, yep. you know, it, it was kind of funny to see that, and it's like one of the funny <laughs> side effects of putting the Beowulf story into Star Trek. Yeah. I think as you see that firsthand. That's totally fair. <laughs> and I think that's where, like, when you when somebody mentioned, like, you could totally see Neelix in in all of this. There's one where he's like. It's the one where the Hirogen take over the holodecks or something like that, and uh, Neelix becomes Prince. a Klingon, oh. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like drinking somewhere <laughs> yeah. on the side. I could totally see him in the Great Hall, like, enjoying himself. <laughs> um, but, funny. yeah, going back to the production value of that Great Hall as well, holy, I, holy. Um, the, the, not you brought up meat in your, in your Strange New Take, those big pieces of, what was that, turkey? Elk. Like, I saw this elk. Ep- elk. I saw I saw this early in the morning, and I had like these meat cravings while I was watching <laughs> that, and it was it was it was weird, but it was it was really nice. It's and straight out of King Richard's Not just a butcher, he can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, get us some elk. So that so that um I mean so the Great Hall like narratively every time we get to the Great Hall except for the third time when the Doctor is ready to release the life energy life force, we have sort of the same story structure. Where the king is there, the king's like, ah, I've given up hope. If only something could help us. And then someone's like, there is hope, majesty, blah, blah, blah. And then Unfrith is like, you, you, are, you are lying. Let me challenge you to a duel. And so what that does over time is that gives us sort of an indication of who these characters are. And then when things escalate, as they always do, we know who it's going to come from. We know it's going to be Unfirth. 
who is the person who is causing causing the mischief just because of we've seen this over and over again so narratively the 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 repetition of even similar lines or the same lines in the the great hall scene because they're condensed doesn't really hurt anything it actually helps us understand like mm, i know what's happening i know who this is going to come from it's going to come from unferth so that's really it's really well done and well plotted in terms of the writing itself in terms of the writing of the first monologue for rothgar i believed the shit out of him like he first of all the writing was incredible it's the second really good monologue in this episode the first one being the doctor about ready to leave for his adventure, although I disagree with the choice to have him turn his face away from Cass while <laughs> giving that. I think that was a really weird, like, days of our lives choice, but that's fine. <laughs> Whatever. The, but the, 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 the monologue that Rothgar gives about his, the, the lack of hope and the end of, uh, end of uh, the future or whatever for him is incredible. And the actor fucking nails it he is so good <laughs> like i believed i wrote like give a medal to rothgar <laughs> because he really like he sells the shit out of it um and it makes the 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 danish uh scene so much more in engrossing and enticing like i wanted to go back to them so when we're at the third the, the fourth act where they're pl- they're figuring out what kind of life force this thing is and they're on the on the bridge i'm like just go back to the vikings because they're so much cooler because we have all this emotional shit from them that we don't really have from the bridge crew and so it really worked like i cared a lot about these holodeck characters in a way that sometimes i i don't in an individual holodeck episode and i believed in their their humanity in a really fundamental way even if i've seen the same things happening over and over again so that was really really well done Rothgar, played by Michael Keenan, who regretfully passed away April 2020, um, oh. who has been in three episodes of Star Trek. Uh, actually, four. He was a the same character in two episodes of DS9. He's Rothgar, of course. And he had an appearance in my favorite episode of TNG, uh, and probably all of yours, Sub Rosa, uh, as <laughs> Maturin. What? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, illustrious uh, wow. existence for our friend Michael Keenan. Um, Who's he in DS9? He's Patrick in the episode Statistical Probabilities and Chrysalis. I have no memory of. He just looks like an old man looking up in his memory alpha he's not screenshot wearing, of that. Like, armor. It looks so cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but hey, at this point, let's take a break. Then we'll come back and I'll tell you who played Kreia. Uh, no, Kreia. Kreia is, is the villain in Knights of the Old Republic 2. <laughs> <laughs> Freya, who played Freya, the character in this episode, at Unferth. Hey, Lord Rothgar! I bring a new friend, Schweitzer, who has come to destroy Grendel. Greet him well. I would bid you welcome to my hall, but the days of glad tidings are gone from this place. I'm sorry to hear that. But with your permission, sir, I'd like to stay here tonight and wait for Grendel. To what purpose? To raise false hopes again? As have others before you? Leave us alone in our misery. I'm afraid I can't do that. I have a mission. Your name means nothing to me. There are no songs of your deeds, nor stories of the battles you have fought. Who are you to believe you can slay, Grendel? I'm simply a warrior. I'm only concerned with Grendel. I have no quarrel with you. Indeed you do. And if you will fight Grendel, then you will first prove your worth to me. 
Welcome back to Strange New Takes. And I've been thinking during the break about the title Heroes and Demons. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very majestic title. Uh, if, if you had to pick a title for this episode that wasn't Heroes and Demons, what would it be? Where is Harry Kim? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a bad question. Because, I mean, actually, it's not a bad I mean, title general, because that's what the plot he? is, right? Like what happened to Harry Kim? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would give a title that was more fitting to what the actual narrative arc of the story is. So it's a lot more about the doctor and the doctor's ability to. So like I mean, like you could like you could call it like I mean this is a bad title, but like a hero's a hero's name. You could call it something along the lines of like there is, there there's something about his particular story because the heroes and demons is much more about Tuvok Tuvok and Chakotay's conversation that doesn't really bear on the rest of the episode in the same way so i don't it's yeah i wouldn't necessarily call it hero's name but something sing, along those lines sing songs of his name yes because <laughs> he doesn't say. have doesn't have a name and they talk about singing songs a lot they do they do start so. a lot of epics all right all right well uh getting back to our friends in the great hall who are hanging out uh there's freya who's played by marjorie monahan who you may recognize if you watch Babylon 5. She plays the leader of the Mars Resistance in, in Babylon 5. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Okay. Fuck that, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the, the character now, but she's uh, no, in, yeah. in, a, in a bunch of uh, episodes that are in the, I think, the, what is it, the, the, the penultimate season. Yeah. Babylon 5. She looks well, that, that makes sense yeah. because she gives some fiery speeches, I think, in yes. Babylon 5 as the resistance leader, which totally. she, of course, also does in this episode. Her voice is so good. That's one of the things I was thinking about in this entire episode is like how great her voice is. A little husky, mm -hmm. strong, vulnerable. I, I really, really liked her. I, I, don't, I don't love the fact that she's like, you know what? The day before you could die, maybe we could make out. But well, like, I, also whatever. <laughs> I need to let you guys know. Fire is not the only heat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so Noted. bad. <laughs> so bad. Like, I, in general, I'd be like, you know what? Get it. Because I, you're cool. She did whatever. what she could with that do line. Do you want to do? Man, I, that was... Yeah, sure like, they had real, like, yeah go, ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, I don't think real Freya would have done that. But I think in a hologram, you're, you know, like in, a, in a holodeck program, this is like... It's probably pro like that. That's that a guy who's like well, yeah, twenty four really, is really running. Kim, the, yeah, that's right? the question mm. we should be asking, Harry Kim. What are you? What are you doing <laughs> with the uh, the, the holodeck Frey program? With your amorous tendencies. Stop it. This is like a, a Barkley moment, maybe. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not against. I'm not against people getting it if they want to get it. Like whatever, you know, do what you want to do. But at the same time, like it would have. I felt like it would have been a nice change to not yeah. have an emotionally open conversation. And then immediately be like, we could fuck if you want. I just, you know, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. you can just have really good, straightforward, honest conversations between people and not have them make out. Men mm -hmm. do it in, on Star Trek all the time. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to shame Freya because she can, she can do whatever the fuck she wants. But at the same time, like, bro, easy writing fix. Don't need to make it that happen. Garbage. I have she to believe that they must have laughed about it and had to do this like over multiple takes. Like, oh, the, the dialogue in that scene is actual horseshit. <laughs> like, well, but, you know but, where she sleeps. Yeah, but like you know, you know, Notch, you were talking earlier about sort of the the doctor's performance and and like how in some ways maybe this feels more serious than sort mm -hmm. of later versions of the doctor. But I think like if we look at you know aspects of the doctor and the episode as a whole, mm -hmm. there's.
there were definitely some like wonderfully hammy moments in this episode that I thought <laughs> I felt like it couldn't have been an accident. And then, like I, I kind of enjoyed some of that, too. Mm-hmm. I think that was great. Don't get me wrong. I just want to go back to my, my comment there earlier, just for one second, just to, just to emphasize, I don't dislike those later things. It's just, it's it's a very different, right, different tonal tone. performance. Mm-hmm. And I think they're both perfectly wonderful. I just I just noticed that like this, uh, unlike say the episode Message in a Bottle where the doctor is <laughs> sent to hang out with Andy Dick for a little while. Um, Why not? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, he, 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 he just, there's fewer of those like weird facial expressions and like yeah, Max, yeah. They're there for sure, like you're seeing. It's just, uh, it's just a little different. I, I, I appreciate both of them, so I don't want to like cast dispersions because the Doctor is certainly my favorite character. Uh, very quickly, the character of Unferth in this episode is played by Christopher Neem, who, and I swear this happens way too often. I look up some guest actor in an episode we watched, and they've been a Nazi in some episode of other episode of Star Trek. True with Christopher Neem, who played Unferth in this episode. And then played the German general in the Star Trek Enterprise fourth season episode, Stormfront. So. I'm really glad that you said in another episode of Star Trek. I thought, I thought you were going to stop the sentence with, uh, he was a Nazi. It's <laughs> like, oh my God. No. What? In, the, in the grand no. tradition of Star Trek. <laughs> no. Uh, no. At least not as far as I know. So. Okay, okay. Good guy. Christopher well, I mean, Neem, he's okay. I feel Living like on, he, yeah. He's, he's gotten to play two assholes in Star Trek then. This is great. You know, like, I don't think he plays well, assholes in Star Trek. He's got a yeah, type that he yeah, has typecast a little bit, maybe. Going back to that hammy bit with the doctor and all so there's there's a couple of scenes where um Hothgar like I think swings at the doctor and goes right through him and then hurts his hand and the doctor's it's like unfurth yeah unfurth that's yeah right. sorry unfurth and then mm-hmm. he comes back and and the doctor comes back and is like let me let me medicate you on your hand and he said it, says it in a very funny way it actually set me up to really start liking and backing the doctor um to the extent I think it's an episode I don't know if it's the the next season or somewhere in the series where there's this crazy clown mind computer right that's that's you know fear yeah fear exactly and and when the doctor enters right like at that scene when i think it's kim again right it's kim who's been strapped up and that guy's about to like so yes yeah and the doctor comes in i like played that scene three four times it was hilarious right so It's um, it's setting us up as viewers to really like one of the best characters in in Star Trek. So yeah, totally. I th- I think what what's been what's fun about this episode, with regards to the Doctor, but also like the, what makes the Doctor one of my favorite characters is that he is very true to whatever he is. You know, he's true to himself, and you know, like he's obviously like we are learning what that means in every episode. But like that doesn't mean that anything's like out of character that he does. It's just like maybe you haven't seen it yet. So his final incredible burn on Unferth. He's like, like the only thing that's protecting you or whatever, like the, mm-hmm. the saving your life is that I have to swore an oath to do no harm. Oh, that fuck, so that line fucking rules. That's such a good mm-hmm. line. It's incredible. And it's it's exactly in line with what we see for him for the rest of this episode and all the other 10 episodes beforehand. We just didn't necessarily see it in this context. We we're like, oh, shit. What, what a cool hero line that is. What a great fucking hero line. So, I yeah, you know, I think the, the Great Hall is the Great Hall scenes are where everybody gets to shine. And they're, I think they're the sort of the heart of this episode in a way that like the bridge scenes are like, well, you're you're doing science and I appreciate that about you. But I, I don't I don't feel the science the way that I feel the Viking episodes, which is probably true about me in general anyway. I think we also have to 
take a moment to appreciate Chakotay's massive burn on Vulcan literature. It's <laughs> so good. It is so uh, good. <laughs> I I I, had, I wrote it down because it was so good. <laughs> there are no demons in Vulcan literature. That must account for its popularity. popularity is so good. <laughs> I <It's> mean, <laughs> how did Tuvok even continue living at that point? Just, he should just been like. He didn't realize that he came peace. for his neck like that. That's yeah. a I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in the Delta Quadrant. Y'all go on. There's no point. Uh, I, don't need, I don't need I don't need friends. It's okay. I'm fine. Yeah. I uh, also, you never made any. Sorry. Ahead, ahead. That, so that scene. I've talked about that scene a couple of times, and I actually really do enjoy that scene of them walking through the Great Hall and talking about different, like, cultures and demons and stuff. I do enjoy it. I just wish it had, like, a, con- a single connection to the rest of the episode, narratively. Um, but I enjoy it. One of the things that bothers me about that scene, though, is that it's purely academic or purely intellectual because Chakotay is talking about a, ca- a culture that is not his and talking about how other people value like demons or whatever and obviously Tuvok is Vulcan so he doesn't have anything to like really share in terms of his own culture's demons but I think that is is a it's a a really minor missed opportunity however not just face I know the way that the the Voyager has not taken any particular uh, (laughs) desire any opportunity Mm. to learn anything about any indigenous cultures in the United States um or in the Americas in general Really makes me happy that they weren't like in my culture. There are demons who come worse. from yeah. rocks or something. You're like, great. Well, I, I, I don't yeah. know what the fuck you're talking about. But I still, think... I think it's 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 a bit of a missed opportunity if it could have been done correctly. Such as it is, it's fine <laughs> the way that it is. But like in terms of really good writing, it should have been Chakotay sharing something from his own culture and Tuvok being like, I don't understand it from my own cultural perspective. That would have been better writing. However. <laughs> The, the yeah. lack of casual racism was very, very nice in this particular episode. And I think, I think maybe again, I'm not trying to defend or anything. I think the innocence there is, hey, we are hundreds of years in the future where all these cultures are like Chakotay is re- representing humanity to Tuvok, right? So he's like, there's like a innocent appropriation there. But then, to your point, um, they they double down on the spirit animal stuff and the Native American right. stuff a lot, and there's no com- there's no <laughs> comeback from Tuvok bad. in the future future no, episodes. Bad. Well, and, and th- that's I think that the point. You're, I think your point is a very very good one when we go back to the point of this episode. But I think it helps the longevity of this particular episode that Absolutely. we don't have to be like, oh yeah, that guy who like totally faked the like his Indian heritage to like yeah, become to a, oh a my heritage consultant, you know, like <laughs> right. we don't have to watch to Chakotay. No. Right. So, I mean, like, obviously the fact that, you know, this show fucking sucks at indigenous culture in general Ouch. does make this that a, a better moment. But like in, in, in the, our, in our, in the our heart of hearts, in the world of worlds, in right. a, a more ideal Voyager, which would have been better in a lot of other ways too. Don't Can, get me wrong. It would have made a lot more sense narratively oh, to yeah. have that conversation be more personal because the rest of the episode is actually very deeply personal to the characters, even though even though they're, most of them are holodeck characters or holograms in general, they all have feelings. And so th- the people who are real, living, breathing, sentient beings <laughs> being able to have a, a conversation of that emotional honesty would have been a really good move if that's something we care about. Yeah. But again, yeah. it's, well, it's two minutes of, of an episode, so is it the end of the world? Absolutely not. But if we're talking about cohesion that would make more sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. no i'm just uh i was just laughing at how for seven seasons of tv we had a actor forced to play a completely made up 
indigenous culture and be very serious. Be very serious. Is it possible that while completely, while completely, you know, f- wrong and fake in in the content, it created a full appreciation of native peoples of North America for the rest of the world that they may not have known about anyways. Um, I feel and- like there's a lot of like the, mis- the miseducation <laughs> that we have in the U.S. in for in non-indigenous groups, then like all, for sure gets doubled down on and packaged and sold other places. I mean, like this thing is uh, this is something that, that has a completely different significance from this other thing. People are like, great, love it. And don't actually like aren't connected into any of the actual mean, culture so like if we're if we're miseducated about it literally in the land i feel like I'm, it's not really you know just casting me as like a smirish character like um you're a you're a you're a you're a new kind of celtic character you're smirish and you do you know these kinds of things and people are like ah oh, yes i've learned to appreciate the celtic gaelic cultures so much now i understand them so well you know it's uh i don't think i don't think that really holds water i don't know uh, i'm just going back to maybe not you and I seeing this 20 years ago and I don't know where our appreciation of, of those details were, right? When we watched this and, and going back to the cultural melting part, which is a nice way to put it, that India is where there's all kinds of confusion on how people represent cultures and they try to do it in the, in the best of, um, with the best intents, but you know, it's, it's wrong. So. Yeah, I don't know where that leaves us. I mean, and and I think we're in a post. I think I think that's 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 a very strong point in terms of like where we used to be versus where we are now. Because I think we're we're now getting to the post intent point where I think a lot of people of color and in groups, basically like non majority groups, were all demanding. Like my my persistent annoyance with Indian characters named Bob and Steve on Star Trek, <laughs> you know, like yep. I, we're demanding more than intent. We're we're, yeah. we're saying like we want more than we want more than just the like the presence because to like be cast in this part that's yeah for yeah Bob or Steve yeah. G- give me give me some attention to detail. Like I mean, Chakotay's tattoo, for example, is probably closest to like a Maori tattoo. It's not mm. even like it's not there, but like yeah. they took. It's like someone went on like. 1992 Google, which doesn't didn't exist, and be <laughs> like, like homogenous uh, indigenous tattoo, and it just like New Zealand. The people of New Zealand had this, and he's like, oh, that's so great. It and is then, the same. Why not? Yeah, yeah it took like a bunch a of good... stuff from different cultures, you know, mm-hmm. and just like mash it together. Akuchi Moya, the we are far from the bones of our ancestors. Oh, good lord. Oh, <laughs> oh my yeah, god. Yeah, so I mean, I think ultimately you're right that then we got a bit of a reprieve from that kind of bullshit with that that moment in the conversation. It could have been significantly worse. But I think uh, yeah. one of the just the the thing that really struck me about this episode is we learned so much more about any of the holographic characters than we learned about any yeah. of the flesh and blood characters. And that's, I mean, that's the point of this episode. We learned a lot mm-hmm. about the doctor. We see the doctor in action. We see that he can't, he can do more than just complain that he's not, you know, in better, in uh, better use, but he actually can be put to better use. And he actually enjoys that the adventure. Uh, so I think that's, that's the point of the episode, but we don't really learn a lot about anybody else except maybe Harry Kim in some weird way. <laughs> But not really, because he's not even in the episode. <laughs> yeah, like, and I mean, it's he, not like he ever shows up going back to Beowulf ever again. So, no. I mean, he, ugh, man, yeah. poor Harry Kim. So, know. I mean, speaking about character development with the Doctor, let's talk about his name, the whole name thing, because this is—it's just weird. 
character line that gets brought up a bunch in season one and it's mm-hmm. like referred to a couple of times in the future but never really comes to anything yeah. and just as a bit of context initially this character was supposed to have been named zimmerman uh in the like ah. production like the, the the pre-production days they, they were tossing around the idea of this guy being named zimmerman i don't know if there's any relation with that being a, a more german name in this whole schweitzer thing but it, it doesn't come up much isn't Zimmerman the dude who invented this hologram? That's yeah. They yeah. later yeah. give the name to the doctor who created the hologram. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I just oh. wanted to get your reaction okay. to that whole name thing. And then, of course, the Schweitzer situation, which I think was like, I mean, obviously played for laughs, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Freya liked that name, right? Yeah. Hero's name, Schweitzer. <laughs> Dr. Schweitzer. Lord Schweitzer. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think obviously a name is a really important thing for a character and like not you're right like the i've seen the first few episodes of voyager the first season of voyager more more recently than i've seen like the rest of voyager but my recollection of them is that the name is like a really important part of the first few episodes and then it Mm -hmm. definitely dies off because he just straight up ends up being doctor (laughs) for the rest of the show um and I don't know. I mean, I feel like the the purpose of it, which makes sense narratively, is that we're trying to humanize him and give him more than he's just like the role that he serves and the role that he plays. And so I think it's a it's a normal, natural thing for his character to be thinking about and and for mm-hmm. people to ask for as well. Um, and I understand why he wouldn't want to be Schweitzer at the end of the episode too, but I also don't know what. You know, not knowing what's important to him, realistically, it's kind of hard to know what it is that fits him better than other names that she's chosen. He's chosen for himself. I'm not sure. It's a struggle throughout the series, right? I don't. It's his struggle. It's the writer's struggle. Uh, I'm I'm thinking of three or four instances where we may have had a name. Um, I know for a fact that he he has one in Endgame where he has this new newly new not newly minted. That's a terrible word, but He's, he's newly married and, and the, his wife is not a hologram. And I remember Paris and him talking at that, whatever, 10th reunion of, of Voyager reaching home, right? The alternate uh, world. But he has a name that I forget what it is. Um, there's a couple of instances before that where um, he has this family. Remember that this perfect family? Uh, a it's an epi- family. It's a, it's, I think it's an episode called Family or Real Life. It's called Real Life. Right, mm-hmm. and then there's the one where he's he's this, uh, uh, you know, uh, really awesome singer for this high tech race. I don't know if a name comes in there, um, but there's an identity aspect, and then, um, yeah, um, the one where he's he's an author. Right, I don't know if an, if if like his identity gets gets talked about there as well as an individual who can create content. So, mm-hmm. um, it's it throughout the whole series. You know they're they're wrestling with it, and I think it's it's an understandable. Like I don't think they miss out by not giving him a name. Mm. They kind of they kind of, I think they give him one in Endgame specifically. I don't remember clearly, but or or like he says, I have picked the name, and and Tom like pulls his leg about it, but is nice at the same time. But yeah, it's it, it's a thing throughout the series. Mm-hmm. It it is yeah. I think I think for me it's just, um, it's the lack of a a, a elegant coda on it in the mm-hmm. first season yeah. where, where there's a decision made like it's it's just left hanging and right. I think 
but it, but I think you're right, Rudy, that it does it. It's not it never completely dropped. Um, <clears throat> I think the in this episode, I did like the elegance of the last time I heard it uttered. Yeah. It was very painful to me. Um, which which brings up the topic of the Doctor versus these other holograms in terms of their like rights or the existence mm-hmm. the agency yep. the yep. the um i mean he could fire up beowulf and go meet freya again right but do you think he feels like that would be any that would like i mean as a human i don't know most of us would probably do that and just be right. like all right let's let's restart the story and and or like i saved a game the game at a point where freya wasn't dead so i'm gonna go back and gotcha. reload yeah. and mm-hmm. and keep going yeah. but if you're a hologram yourself right maybe that feels not quite right to you i think it's interesting because he in this episode that's i mean that's a way that we could watch this episode and it's a way that we could read it i know it's never really brought up in this mm-hmm. episode that there's this kinship or similarity between these characters and i i mean you could think of it either like that wasn't really the point of the episode so like whatever (laughs) we could think of it as like the doctor is just treating them like they're normal people because they are normal people to him like you know where a human might be more along the lines of like oh this is a program like it's not a big deal you know he is treating them as they're as if they're full people because that's just who he is and what his either his programming is or whatever um i don't know but i think i think it's an interesting way to read it but i don't i also don't see anything like within the actual episode that makes me go oh yeah like he it's a, she's an individual to him because they're both holograms and because mm-hmm. he wants to feel xyz the only th- time we really get to see that connection is when he and he and freya are talking about feeling alone and feeling um isolated even in a world full of people who are supposed to be understanding of them but that doesn't it, we're never really like oh yes i too am a hologram so therefore i know exactly how you feel you know so it's a little bit it's not super clear i guess i would say but i think it's an interesting way, read on the way that he works with other other characters on the holodeck i don't know well yeah i think i think this episode um really picks up on some you know kind of major star trek themes of sort of the um you know, sentience of artificial beings, mm-hmm. obviously like the whole data story arc is I yeah. think, the best example of that. But um, I'm also thinking back to the, the next generation episode where we have uh, Moriarty mm-hmm. uh, gaining sentience on the holodeck yeah. and they kind of have to figure out what to, what to do about that. Um, but I, as far as I know, is this kind of the only other situation where we have a holographic character who is um, I guess kind of considered to be, um a sentient being by the by the crew what about um there's deep a space, lot in voyager nine. right deep space nine deep space nine though there's a the holiday character who's sentient too right well he he gets he gets in in far beyond this not far beyond stars um Vic it's Fontaine. only a paper moon Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine is allowed to yeah. stay on yeah right. for longer periods of time but he's never allowed to leave the holodeck right, right but he's right. he's sentient in that he knows that he's a hologram the way that the, right. the doctor knows that he's a hologram yeah. and Morgan exactly knows that he's yes a voyager right. takes it to a whole other level with the hydrogen right where they give him holodeck where voyager gives the hydrogen holodeck technology and then the hydrogen takes that technology to a whole other level where they create starfleet holograms um Mm -hmm. who can feel pain and and then there's like this whole mutiny where the i forget the name of the episode but they wipe out a whole hydrogen uh training facility and then they go about you know almost being 
these fanatic photonic beings so interesting way to say it but but they like start liberating they like kill organic beings to liberate photonic beings who don't have sentience and so i think out of all the series um, voyager really um specific to holographic sentience and rights mm-hmm. touches on it um outside of the moriarty situation which also i feel is very nicely written totally. um, by that by that token i think this episode is a pretty classic holodeck episode in that like it's not really it doesn't really have a lot to say about holodeck sentience necessarily it doesn't really say or even like the the morality of holodeck use which i think is what um mm-hmm. barclay's whole thing was in your in the last episode right it's more like this is a sort of traditional holodeck episode where the story is contained in the holodeck and the only thing that makes it slightly different is that we have a, a holographic character who is the main character in the holodeck um um storyline who is interacting with these other holographic characters who don't know they're holographic but it's not necessarily a situation where it's like oh you're so different but we're so the same really that's not really the main point of the of the episode and so i think it's it's interesting that there's this sort of the wrench in this is that there is this character who is not himself a character who has all his own 100% of his own agency but other than that like if you dropped picard or data or wharf or whatever or um torres or paris into the same storyline obviously their choices would be different but in terms of like walking away from the the storyline without it being like man what does it say about me personally because we have we're so similar i think it, it, it's it, the largely the same in terms of the emotional payoff in that regard yeah yeah i think i think it's just a interesting thought experiment and i also just remembered by the way that uh dr zimmerman has a holographic assistant in the episode where he meets troy uh yeah. and then barkley and that's the episode where doctor gets sent back to the alpha quadrant to treat him that's another hologram who has uh, a who knows that she's a hologram. Mm-hmm. Well, and, her name. I mean, so with that, I guess like, and not to get like totally um, kind of go too deep on this, but I'm just kind of curious, like, what what is it that makes the Doctor different mm-hmm. than you know, for example, like these Beowulf characters? So mm-hmm. obviously he's aware of the fact that he's a hologram, and so we have mm-hmm. that piece. But mm-hmm. like beyond that, do they, you know, did they clearly establish that he sort of has the ability to to learn, to grow, to like develop interests and relationships and like pieces like that? Because, you know, yeah. based on his function it, it mm-hmm. seems like he would actually be pretty limited, you know, if his role is to serve as the ship's emergency mm-hmm. doctor. Um, I'm not sure why that program would include, like, all of these mm-hmm. other aspects of a personality. Which would be a lot more along the lines it's, of, like, data, for, for example, of learning. and. It's almost like, I think they touch upon it in later episodes where he's trying to, you know, kind of push out for his rights and Janeway's trying to deal with the morality of it and, and, mm-hmm. and the, um, you know, aspect of a new sentient, you know, species here um i think they explain it very loosely around him just running for longer than he was supposed to like you said right emh versus somebody who is now chief medical officer and so i guess the his subroutines grow in a way that that was not anticipated right i think i mean yeah i think realistically it's also potentially that like the the character was created with one sort of thing in mind sort of i guess to be the show's data to a certain extent but Mm. then the the show is you know we've established before the show's like not necessarily good at like giving the doctor a specific identity 
that is consistent. Although he's always really great in all his episodes. Like, so there are times when he's, like, slapstick comedy, and sometimes he's, like, he's a, he's a lounge singer, and sometimes he's this other thing, and sometimes he's this other thing. And so it's possible that, like, it, it's more interesting and more convenient to sort of be like, okay, we're not going to, like, really fudge with the the setup that we gave him at the very beginning of the se- of the first season. We're just going to kind of let it go, which, uh, you know, I think it makes sense in, to a certain extent of us, like, whatever he's an interesting character we'll still let it go on the other hand it's like can you grow can you learn can you feel because in this episode more than any of the episodes that come before it he is a really serious base of feeling and mm-hmm. like a, a, an unsung hero of this episode is the scene that he has with Kess which I think is like a beautiful episode beautiful scene like just one of the best episodes in this scene um sorry the scenes in this episode excuse me um but where Kess is like I think you're feeling I'm feeling nervous and he's like holy shit I, I need to tell you all these things that I'm feeling nervous about and he's expressing trepidation and anticipation and excitement and, ner- and like nerves and stuff and it's gorgeous I too was like can you feel can you feel those things can you feel those feelings but at the same yeah. time I'm not going to quibble with it because I liked it but I, I agree I think it's, yeah, it's not really set up if you just kind of accept up. it and go with it it's it's fun but it's know? not really set but I agree this yeah. is really set up in terms of his his, his character introduction is not like and also you can learn and i don't think there's ever a point where like oh shit you are learning wow that's cool it's like i wonder was he always envisioned to be somebody who would eventually have episodes built around him where he's going around outside the med bay or was this were these initial episodes the catalyst for stuff like designing a mobile emitter and having him you know uh, like enter and like there's there's that whole emergency command hologram stuff which is amazing it's hilarious and it's amazing, right? Um, yeah, but do you know yeah. that as as a resident Voyager expert, do you know what his I... original character was like drawn to be, or did it evolve organically? I I don't remember exactly. I would be surprised if this information isn't out there, given um, all of the stuff that has been published over Voyager. But I don't ever remember encountering it myself. What I will say is this: that number one, just real quick. This is not quite related to this, but Robert Picardo owns the Doctor in a way that mm-hmm. many other actors in Star Trek don't own their characters. Yes. I think maybe Absolutely. Avery Brooks and Cisco is another example where like the actor influences the trajectory of the character in terms of the writing and what they do. Yeah. So, so there is that point. The other point is, I think, circling back to Max's question of what makes him different, I think it brings up those same interesting things that we think about in terms of eating meat. Mm. What makes my two cats different from the burger I ate, right? Like, you, please, I, please don't tell I, me no, you're going to eat cat your cats. <laughs> I'm not going to eat my cats. I love my cats. Not just I, cats I, are safe, everybody. I have, I have, in fact, never eaten cat in my life up to this point. So I, I'm proud I, of you because it's really um, hard to restrain yourself. I mean, but 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 this is a thing, right? Like, I will not say that I will never eat any cat anywhere because i feel like that's hypocritical of me to eat meat in general and be a meat eater and then draw like this artificial line it it brings up some Mm -hmm. uncomfortable philosophical questions that i haven't answered for myself and i think Mm -hmm. when i think about the doctor versus say freya or vic fontaine Mm -hmm. or who else you know those the 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 hydrogen uh holograms from flesh and blood part one and two from the seventh season that rudy was talking about before it brings up some really uncomfortable questions of what makes them and their ab- like, if if one of them says I deserve the mobile emitter as much as the doctor, mm-hmm. 
how would I like, you know, and then we have a Star Trek court episode. Like, mm-hmm. how would we adjudicate that? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that question. And it, it but but my that's what the, the questions that I'll meet is kind of where my mind goes is kind of a convenient corollary to think about it, mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. And I think what I've enjoyed in this holodeck series of episodes is discussing these ethical points mm-hmm. with you guys. Because the holodeck is kind of this fantasy machine mm-hmm. which brings up all of these ethical questions like is someone allowed to barge in? Right. Is what happens in the holodeck something that should have consequences if you've got if you're having your co-workers in front of you right uh you know all this kind of stuff so it's like i uh, i appreciate these discussions i guess mm-hmm. is my, my only point there um but in the in the interest of brevity i think we should keep going um any other episode based discussion that you all want to have before we move on to kind of wrapping things up here i have a quick call out it's, it's kind of a weird one and i'm not an expert on hairdos but i think janeway's hair here is different from her early part of the series bun and obviously latter part of the yeah. series, you know, shorter cut. It's 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 not got that bulge bun kind of thing. Uh, and you guys here can see me do actions, but, but I like what <laughs> I saw bulge here. Over his head, everybody. <laughs> I like what I saw. I don't know what to call it, but uh, it was nice. Also, her eyebrow acting in this episode, <laughs> stellar. At least two eyebrow raises. My God, it's incredible. What What do you call the hair in this episode even? The only other person I've seen wearing it is that there's that picture of Donald Trump's mom and she has the same hair. Like, oh, oh, God. Triangle pointy hair. It's like... It's kind of a swoop, I guess. Sw- there's, a, there's a swoopy <laughs> bit in the front, but then it, it's like it's like a, a long... It's like a, I think it's called like a French roll, maybe, or maybe that's baked Ooh. good. It's like a French tuck, French bun or something. It's not a chignon, which is like the big circular bun that's sort of at the back of the head or maybe at the, the at the nape of the neck. Um, but instead, it's like a full, longer, like vertical roll up into mm, the, right. the scalp. So it gives a little bit more like volume at the top. It's a, it's pretty popular with um, like I Love Lucy kind of era, which is why you know mm, older okay. ladies will wear it often. I don't remember what it's called. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty standard like up and out of your face, no nonsense, classic, timeless kind of hairdo that um, I think Janeway, you know, is she sort of models a lot of the, the, the hairs of like the way that she wears her hair is a lot of like no nonsense science lady with a touch of elegance. And you're like, oh, I believe well, it. Well, speaking of a no nonsense science lady, um, <gasps> one more thing I wanted to circle back to briefly is uh, I really appreciated Janeway's techno babble mm-hmm. in this episode I knew you would. <laughs> and um specifically you know what I appreciated is there's one moment where she kind of has this uh this realization and she says something like like of course you know holographic technology is an outgrowth of transporter technology and so you know this was not just like the typical trek babble mm-hmm. where it's like just saying random words that they made up she's actually connecting two different concepts mm-hmm. in the universe that we know are related mm-hmm. and and like in a logical way actually yeah. like makes sense that they go together because they both convert uh energy into matter totally. right and so i just i really like that mm-hmm. so techno sense not techno babble yes techno yeah. sense <laughs> which, which Thank i you, think Janeway. like you know i mean realistically as much as uh um Janeway's character Kate Mulgrew um she d- didn't like doing the techno babble i think this is a really good example of how you can use like scientific speech to explain stuff to people mm. in a way that also values the the um the audience's intelligence and also the character's intelligence um so i i appreciate it i thought it was good i just really like it when the captain that the captain is able to like sort of keep up with people scientifically because often it's like well, i don't know what any of those words mean can data explain it to me which you know i love 
I love Patrick Stewart, so I'm not like against it. But at the same time, it, it's nice to, at times to like have someone who's like in the middle of it and not needing things to be explained and is actually doing the explaining. I like that. Yeah. All right. It's the moment of truth, y'all. <laughs> Who wants to stick their neck out and give this episode a strange new rating? I will do it. I'll do it. I also want to give a shout out to Notch for bringing this episode from meat to meat. I really appreciate that. Full circle. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, that's, I'm not, that doesn't affect my rating, but I just wanted to, Notch, I, pre, I appreciate you. I noticed that and I appreciate that about you. Um, I will give this episode a it's a p- between a 7.5 and an 8 out of 10 I think 7.75 out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, spreadsheet you know, is amazing <laughs> All right. I, so I, let's, let's, let's round it up let's round it up to an 8 because right. I really liked it a lot and I thought it had a lot of really great things about it it was narratively consistent it had really great, really great scenes really great characters there's some things about it that I was like meh which I've already mentioned um so, you know, aside from, like, minor quibbles, I had a really good time. I don't know that this is one of them going to remember in the same way that I remember a lot of the really great episodes of Star Trek. Um, where, like, they like they stick with me and sometimes it's immorality or sometimes it's, like, a specific scene that's, like, holy shit, I will, like, that that's going to stay with me for forever. So, like, that's why it gets a lower rating, just because I don't think it's a superlative episode. But for Voyager... <laughs> This is a superlative episode of Voyager. So, uh, and not just like a little not bit, but, not a little bit butthurt. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> Me too. I'm in pain. We can see. You can see. But, um, but I think this is, this is a really solid, really well written episode in general. And I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to say an 8 out of 10. I, I'm going to, I'm just, without belaboring the point. Yep. Me too. <laughs> a. 8 out of 10. Okay, okay. okay. I, I'm going to... Okay, gosh. Do it! <laughs> now, two people did it, it. and you can't do it. I'm, I'm going... No, 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 no. I'm, I'm 12 out of 10. 12, no, no. This 17. is not a 12 out of 10. I'm going to go with 7.5. Uh, right. 7.5 um, elk hawks. Is that a hawk? <laughs> is that It is now. Piece of meat. I was going to yeah, pick that. We'll, I got to pick something that. else now. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I think this was a, a solid, entertaining episode. I don't think it's one that's going to stand out in my memory necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I think especially for sort of the some of the hamminess, the mm-hmm. the comedy, some of like the doctor's one-liners, mm-hmm. I think those are the pieces that I'll probably remember about this one. to do no harm. So good. So good. Yeah. Um... I was going to go with an 8 as well, but I will actually go 8.5 because it means a lot to me in the sense of how it sets up the Doctor for the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. I don't know if like we we wrestled with whether this episodes like this gave him more space, but the resulting um, space and flexibility he got for the rest of the series, I think, makes him one of my favorite characters, top three characters in, in Trek. Um, and, and so I'll give it an 8.5, 8.5 missing bridge officers, um, <laughs> out of 10. We'll just leave uh, the bottom half of the What Neelix. about missing Neelix? Look at his legs and not his torso, it's fine. <laughs> Main cast. Uh, well, so... I now have to help us pick the next episode. And I'm, oh, I'm yeah. going to just make a call because this is the last yeah. one out of our holodeck series. And oh, it yeah. actually might be our last episode, re- like re- retro recap for a long time because yeah. Lower Deck starts a week after the, our next episode will, will drop. Wow. And then we might just end up with an entire year of Star Trek back to back. The year Holy. of Trek. 
so so i i don't actually know whether we're gonna come back to retro recaps anytime soon and just because we did hollow pursuits last week i want us to do pathfinder from voyager i know two voyager episodes in a row i'm sorry y'all but pathfinder is sorry are you actually sorry i don't don't know know. that you are best hologram series guys i just we just have to have voyager episodes i'm so sorry guys uh yeah but i but i think this one is a good one because i think it helps us find barkley in a very similar situation to which he was in in hollow pursuits except it's many years later Mm -hmm. and i i just want to i want to compare and contrast a little bit and see i don't remember much about pathfinders i don't know at all if we remember if we talk anything about like holographic rights i do remember some vaguely some things about being in a fantasy world mm-hmm. uh, for barkley and whether that's appropriate so we'll uh He's grown. not at all it's yeah <laughs> so so we will revisit that in next week's episode with pathfinder please watch that before listening to our next next episode dear listener if you or so don't. wish you, you get spoiled and it's fine Whatever. Do yeah, do whatever you want in do life. We are we are not a hologram, dear listener. We can't turn you off and on anytime we want. You can do whatever you, I you hope have we agency. Can turn you on anytime that hey, we want. You know what I mean? One piece of trivia I forgot to mention. Um, the 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 Schweitzer name is a reference to Dr. Albert Schweitzer, a medical doctor, philosopher, and recipient of the 1952 Nobel Peace Prize. He was born in the German Empire in Alsace, so he's Alsatian. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. One of them. Just a, Got to get that oof. trivia in. Last minute, under yeah, the wire. Just Grab bit. your hat from under the, the, the door. Proud of you. Well, thank you, Max. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, Rudy, for joining me every week. It's it's a joy to discuss Star Trek with all of you and kind of have these intense pseudo-ethical discussions about things that we may never actually face in real life. I don't know if we'll ever get to find a holodeck, but... Uh, <laughs> if I don't get to see Ross on a holodeck in real life, I'm going to be real pissed. Like, what is what is AI for, if not right, this? Right, right. Um... Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Bill, uh, for being out there and, uh, you know, being on our show every so often. Thank you, Adam, as well, uh, for doing the same thing. So I hope you all have, all three of you have a wonderful rest of your week. Um, and thank you, dear listener, for coming in and joining us and listening to us talk about Star Trek every week. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. And uh, special thanks to the guy who set the fire in that final scene. Because yeah. if that vi- random Viking guy wasn't like, oh, it's cold, I need to set a fire, the doctor wouldn't have had the little thing with the fire to like threaten the other guy with. Yeah. No. Key Fucking moment, underappreciated. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, everybody, we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.